You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one today at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started. Grief is widely recognized as one of the most painful universal experiences, and it has profound impacts on us. Its uniqueness lies in the vast range and presentation with grief manifesting through emotional, cognitive, behavioral, spiritual, and physical symptomology. Grief can be manifested in many ways. Physically, it's regarded as a particular facet of the grieving process and it's often overlooked. Emotionally, this can also include positive emotions, cognitively, spiritually, individually. Certain losses can be profound and the varieties of grief are many. It could start at diagnosis, caregiving, through palliative care and bereavement, sudden loss, loss of a child, parent, loved one, and grief isn't just about death. Transitions inevitably can lead to loss or secondary loss and anticipatory grief. Think romance rejection, divorce, estrangement, disasters, pet loss, a definitely disenfranchised and undervalued grief. And with that one, there are also the implications of mental health. You can be isolated in your bereavement. Reactions are often complicated. There is hope, hope of better days ahead. We're going to talk with Victoria Volt, Certified Grief Recovery Method Specialist and End-of-Life Doula, Reiki Master, Writer and Podcaster of The Unleashed Heart. Let's see how to change the conversation around grief. Why? It's exhausting. It depletes ambition, self-care priorities and the emotional strength to live a fulfilling, joy-filled life. Victoria, why is grief important? Why should people pay attention to this? Something happens, get over it. That's often the moniker around that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, grief is everywhere and it gets stuck in our bodies and it impacts every area of our life. It ripples into every aspect of our lives, but we often don't connect the dots of what is happening in our lives to grief. So that's why I'm really passionate about the education around grief to help people connect the dots for themselves. Excellent. So let's just move it into the corporate space. Why should corporates pay attention here? Oh my gosh. It's because every individual will or has experienced grief and inevitably that is going to cost that business or corporation or whatever money because we are less productive. We have a hard time focusing and concentrating. When we feel emotional dis-ease within our bodies, we bring it to our work. We bring it to our families. We bring it to our workplace. Relationships might struggle, especially coworker relationships. When you don't know what to say, there's misunderstandings, you know, depending on the environment of the workplace. I'm not saying that all workplaces get this wrong. I think with COVID, there's been much more progress being made, especially around grief and with many companies having their employees move remotely, right? And the impact that's had on mental health. And so I think that it is very important for the reasons I just stated, but it also as a whole costs our economy. The Grief Recovery Institute Educational Foundation did a grief index study in 2002, which found that grief costs U.S. companies more than $75 billion annually. 
current update is more reflective of more like 100 billion. I would even say after COVID, that's probably even higher. And we get increased errors and accidents due to that reduced concentration and focus. So think of workmen's claims. Have they spiked? Here's the thing too, like with COVID, we've seen an increase in suicide rates as well. And many of these people who complete suicide have jobs. So it's leaving employers having to train new people and they're losing quality workers due to the mental health crisis within their companies. And so you have to look at the whole person, not just the employee. They're not just a number. Not only that, that employee is on a team or leading a team or leading a project, has diverse relationships within the work world. So all of those people in the inner to outer circle will experience some form of grief knowingly or unknowingly. Americans mourn the death of a loved one, 2.4 million loved ones each year. That's in 2002. I mean, there's a lot of grievers out there and there's a lot of employees and leaders out there who have experienced grief. It is a social economic issue. Given that data is almost 20 years old, do you have any thoughts around why this is not updated? I mean, just the impact on humans, not to mention their complexity, let alone their influence and impact or lack thereof in the world, you'd think this would be a really hot trending area of research. I did do a little researching before we recorded today, looking for something updated. The Grief Recovery Institute Educational Foundation, that's the last time they did this grief index study. I do believe they are in the works of doing this again. It's just the study has not been published. That's Don't quote me on that. I believe that's the case. But I could not find anything. I just put in grief index. I could not find anything concrete that was as recent. And if those were the numbers then, just imagine what they are now. Absolutely. And I myself am also a research maven. So I went on and said, who's writing around this? The latest I saw was 2018. So already it's over three years out of date. And if the world's database is upgrading every two years or less, (laughs) we're severely out of date on this topic. It's having an exponential impact on people, places and organizations. It touches everything. So let me inquire, what leads you into this area? My own story and my deep desire to help others. That's really at the crux of it. I really wanted to help other people. I just didn't know in what capacity or how. Empathy is my number one strength. And I tried a bunch of different things over the years. I just did not know where I fit. Where could I utilize all my strengths and my skills? And it wasn't until I had another loss that opened up my old wounds and I realized I wasn't okay when I thought I was, because many people who are grievers, oh, I got it. I'm fine. I'm good. You know, we think we've dealt with it. And that was me for many years. I did a Google search, found the grief recovery method and decided this is it. I need this. I need this. And this is how I'm going to help others. I'm grateful you're a way shower in this space. We actually cross over, synchronize somewhat on how grief and trauma have flipped our lives for over 30 years. There's no timeline on moving from surviving to thriving. And certainly there is much room for much needed help. So how do you see the timeline? You're in the helping profession. Is there a timeline? How do you make progress? It's when you choose and when you're willing and open and ready, because the people who find me or come to my work and choose to invest in themselves to do the work, they're obviously ready and open. And that actually varies. I've had clients who've worked on, who've been many years out of their grief. It's been many years since I've worked with clients 
the beautiful thing about grief recovery is that you can work on relationships with people who are living, which often causes us the most grief. So I've had clients work on those types of relationships. And I've had clients that have experienced a loss as recent as three months ago. There is no timeline to when's too soon or when is it too late. And my plea for hurting hearts is that it doesn't need to take 30 years. And people might say, well, I don't have to dig up the past. I'm maybe five years out or whatever that timeline is, however far out you might feel like you're okay. I'm fine. I got this. But if you are not able to talk about that person and not break down, if you are not able to talk about that person and not be pulled back to the negative emotions, maybe the resentment or the anger or the bitterness that you're holding on to that hits you when you least expect it, that's a sign that you are emotionally incomplete with that relationship and that you might want to consider to do a program like this, like grief recovery. And I want to say too, that this is a timeline action-based program. You know, when you start online with me, it's seven weeks, start to finish, you know, there's a bookend to this, you know, that at the end of seven weeks, you're going to have results of some sort. So you might've been suffering for three months, or you might've been suffering for 30 years like me, but you're suffering anyway. You might as well suffer and move forward because this is not easy work to do. It's not easy. It's not any harder than losing your loved one. There can be nothing harder than that. The hard things already happened. Exactly, exactly. And I noticed you've mentioned there are 40 plus losses we can experience. So we can all think of the typical current socially accepted ones, but what would be two or three losses that people would not expect to be on that list? Loss of a dream. Ah, Loss of a dream, those intangible losses, things that it's maybe hard to even put into words. If you think of grief, grief is actually the loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations. And it's anything you wish that would have been different, better, or more. That encompasses a lot of life experiences. Your house burns down. You lose everything. That's a grieving experience. You have to rebuild. You might have to move to a new neighborhood. You might lose those neighbors as friends. That's the ripples, right? That's the ripples of that experience. You might have to move to a new job then. You're out of the area now. You have the house you found is maybe an hour and a half away. So now you're starting a new job too. Like that's the ripples. Those are the intangible things that we often experience that we don't identify really as a grief experience. Absolutely. And I appreciate your words of wisdom. Grief isn't just about death and grief, whatever it encompasses, needs powerful healing energy and opportunities to work through it and also provide body support. The body remembers. I've heard you say that. And more importantly, sometimes the world around you doesn't. Society doesn't. I'm going to quote my favorite grief author, which is Martha Whitmore Hickman. Somehow we feel the earth should stop spinning and acknowledge our grief. And that doesn't happen. Either people are like, get over it, or people are like, that's not that important to them. But you're an author yourself, and your book is The Unleashed Heart, a creative, strategic, intuitive guide. So how do you connect hurting hearts with their authentic, soulful selves to release suffering and thrive, Victoria? What would be one strategy? I hate to correct you, but my book is actually The Guided Heart. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Because I'm actually going to have to look up that book because I didn't know that there existed one that was The Unleashed Heart. So thank you for saying that, actually. Oh. <laughs> 
no, that's okay. It's the guided heart moving through grief and finding spiritual solace. It's my story. It's my experience. And yeah, I published that in 2017. But what you mentioned was very important is that people in grief feel like they don't have a choice and they feel very isolated because of what you mentioned. And so I imagine, and that's why the graphic art for my podcast is me sitting on an island with a megaphone because you feel like you're screaming to the world and you're sitting on an island and you're screaming to the world to no one because you feel so isolated and no one's listening. And that's one of the myths of grief is to grieve alone. That's one of the things that we are taught early on because society as a whole is really uncomfortable with the topic. Oh, absolutely. And also you yourself could be very uncomfortable with the topic. Certainly found for myself when I was widowed at 27, I masked my grief. I delayed grieving. I had three small children. I didn't have capacity to grieve. I was busy working out how do we survive and move on and keep these children safe and navigate being a widow when there were really none of my peers or people had experienced it outside of my mother-in-law, my own mother, both of whom who were fairly newly widowed themselves. So even if people are experiencing or experiencing grief, they may not be the people to help you mend your broken heart, mend your broken bonds. They may not be the people that can help you. And the process can be a bit like a roller coaster, can't it? Involving the sort of redefining of yourself and making meaning. Sometimes there is not a place to make meaning or the time to do all that. So what were your first steps out of into your best self? Grief recovery, really. And that was just two years ago. I feel like that was my birthday. It really felt like I was renewed. I was made whole in a way that nothing else had ever worked. And it's not that I was like, oh, I walked away and I was like, you know, everything's great and awesome now. I still have that sadness. Well, there's still sadness there. That doesn't go away. And doing this work isn't to condone or to forget or any of that. It's really to heal what that heartbrokenness that you have that is keeping you in the past, ruminating in that story, stewing in that story. And for many people feeling like a victim to their own grief and to the experience. And depending on what caused that grief, if it was um, abuse of any kind, that's really difficult to get beyond that. But it is possible. Absolutely. And some grief does not have a resolution or a definitive end point. It could be an enduring grief that can become disenfranchised over time. And the examples I'm thinking about here are like children from a dysfunctional family grow into adults, maybe until they find a program to support that, they don't know why they feel so isolated and disconnected. It could be migrants. We're a very mobile world where you leave your place of origin and you return, but you return differently and may not be accepted. Another example can be families with family members with disabilities. There's there's a veritable plethora of things that can happen. And I know for me, it's worthy of noting this because there's this heightened depression incidences and members of these people experiencing disenfranchised grief. So waking up to it, becoming conscious on your journey, knowing you can address it. I'm really grateful you're in the space. I can name a couple of otherwise and you can add on. There can be these intensified reactions, lack of support. The usual societal support may not be there. Actually, I should define disenfranchised grief, but please feel free to correct me because it's um, by DOCA. It's a term that's basically defined as a loss that cannot be socially sanctioned, openly acknowledged or publicly mourned. Uh, Another example that comes to mind is pet loss. I don't know about you, but pets can very much be my companion, be it a fish or a cat or another member of a different species. 
again, that's important. People closely bond with their companion bee pets. They bring a meaning, well-being and security. Sometimes they fulfill a family member role. <laughs> what would you add to that? Well, the other thing I'd like to add on to the pet thing is that they become part of our routine, our daily routine. And so when there's an end of or a change of that routine of a familiar pattern of behavior, that's grief. That's grief too. In my opinion, whether it's just disenfranchised or whatever other labels are used, to me, grief is grief. We don't need the labels. The labels, in fact, probably box people in. I think labels create this self-identity that people lean into and live into then. So in a way, I think that these labels can be more harmful than anything. It's just grief. Grief is grief. I totally agree with you, but I'm going to drop one more label because I think for me, labeling certainly can be disabling. So I totally agree with you that I'm not encouraging people to take these labels, but to consider these labels into opening their mind. So mm -hmm. another label that I'm very aware of is devalued deaths, like the very old. A good friend of mine died at the very beginning of COVID. She was in her very late 90s, gone into assisted care, and I didn't get the chance to see her when I returned home. And lots of people said to me, she had a good life. She was old. That didn't make me feel very good. And the other example would be people with disabilities. Again, there can be burdens surrounding caregiving for people who are sick or disabled or very old, but they are also important in our lives. Although you may feel that way, it may not be appropriate to share your thoughts with someone and deepen their grief. I'd like to move on to ways of grieving. I don't think they're exclusive or exhausted. They can be very individual, but can you just touch on that from your experience? Yeah, I think overall, we all grieve the way we grieve, depending on our origins and what we've learned, the beliefs that we've taken on as children, and these truths that have been projected onto us, we take that in as our own. And that impacts how we address or deal with grief or view grief altogether. But generally speaking, we either implode or we explode when it comes to grief. If we think of ourselves as a tea kettle, because grief is cumulative and it's cumulatively negative and stacks up, just think of yourself wearing this backpack of rocks and every rock is a loss in your life or a grieving experience. There's only so much the human spirit can take and every person is different as to when that will occur. And for me, I had one more loss that took me over the edge and that took me 30 years to get to, to make me realize, okay, then I did some introspection, did some reflection and realized that I've had this pattern of behavior that was repeating itself and it was because of the grief I had not addressed. And it changed over time because, right, I was a child, I became a teenager, I became a young adult, I became a parent. So that changed over time what that looked like, how that manifested in my life. So as a teen, I was very angry. I did not act out. I was more of a shy wallflower, but I was very angry and I internalized that anger. And so I went through periods of not eating and then trying to make myself throw up. I had a hard time connecting. I really took things personally in my relationships. I really trust was a huge issue for me early on since a child. And if you betrayed my trust or betrayed that trust, that value I held so dearly, I internalized that. Moving into young adulthood, it was alcohol. We resort to behaviors and things to help us feel better. And if we don't do that, then that energy, that grief energy is in us. 
that's where later in life, I started to experience physical symptoms. My hair was falling out. I had overall body aches that were unexplained. I almost went so far as to having a a bone biopsy because there was just so much happening. They just didn't know what was causing it. I had dropped a bunch of weight in a short amount of time. It was the physical stress I was under, which was stemming from my emotional state. We just don't connect it to grief when these things happen. And it does, it changes over time. And initially you might be a person who needs to talk about it a lot, who feels better when you talk about it. But then as people start to say things that are hurtful or harmful, you find yourself quieting yourself, not talking about it. You'd rather not talk about it. You'd rather not go out in public because people don't know what to say, or they're asking you things that you'd rather not talk about. You don't know how to address that. But overall, I think there's similarities, but yet there's differences. I hope that's not making sense, but it just really depends on how you were raised to address it. Because there are people I have met who grew up in a richly communicative home that talked about grief. They talked about death. They talked about issues in the world. There was nothing so much as hidden. There was no topic that was off topic or not addressed. Very just open, open communication within the family unit. That person is very much likely going to address their grief differently than somebody else. They might too internalize it though. They might too keep themselves busy with work or exercise. People shop, people gamble, people have addictions of certain things maybe have relationship after relationship after relationship that is unhealthy or ends in not a good way or just choosing partners that are not healthy, good for you, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And grief can turn into chronic sorrow in my thoughts. And I wonder how much chronic sorrow is behind some of the deepest addictions and health concerns because the body does speak. Chronic sorrow can be this profound, continuing, recovering, reoccurring grief responses. And I can speak to my experience being widowed in my 20s, a workaholic in my 30s and 40s, and so busy, I didn't really have time to process. But my body would stop me once a year around the week my husband died. It took me decades to figure this out, but every year on the anniversary of his death, from the time he went into a coma until the time we buried him, so it was over a few days, my body would shut down. Literally, I would feel like I had the flu, I couldn't think. I was working in an executive role, so I started booking vacation for that week, like I did all sorts of things. Went to a spa, went to a retreat, sat on the beach, stayed in bed. I tried everything, like what was wrong with me? And when I finally connected, it was the anniversary of his death. A close friend said to me, get over it. It's been 25 years, just get over it. So bless their heart, I went and did some art therapy and started to process it. And that was where I came across my favorite author and got her book for grief readings every day. So what I was trying to do was move it off one week in the death anniversary to every day doing a daily reading around grief, just touching on it, words of support, feeling feelings, just every day for a few minutes, I would read a reading so that I would check in as opposed to just crushing it all down until it all exploded out for those few days. And, you know, I was a parent. I was traveling. I got so that I couldn't dare book any business trips around that week, which is hard to do when you don't always have control of your travel schedule. 
it will certainly come up. And what I realized was I had to work through the process of relinquishing the bond that I was maintaining with my husband who'd passed. It was very complicated. And there was a social blaming around whether I'd caused his death, which I hadn't, but you never know what other issues are going to arrive in your lap at the time at some of the darkest times of your life. And you got to go and grow through it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. (laughs) So I'd like to just touch on public mourning. This is sort of an area that always takes me by surprise how national or international events can just call everyone to the fore. Do you have anything to add to the public mourning? Oh, man, that's a loaded question, to be honest, because I think... Well, next best steps, what would you do if you feel yourself suddenly being engrossed in hurricanes or catastrophes or what do you do? That's actually kind of where I was going to is that it's almost as if like the news perpetuates this addiction to suffering. Because not only do we have our own personal experiences happening, but then we're also seeing all of this disaster and upheaval and terrible atrocities happening to people on top of ancestral generational trauma that is coming up for people individually and as a collective. It's so much. It's so heavy. How do you feel after watching stuff like that? You don't feel better about yourself unless you are so devoid of your grief that you can walk away and it's unaffecting you. I think too, we become almost desensitized to other people's experiences when we're exposed to it in such a grotesque way, to be honest. But I do believe in journalism. I do believe in exposing the truth. It's very important that we understand what is happening. I just feel like all this bad news is just bad news for our psyche. I think perpetuates this idea that we are just here to suffer. I think it's disempowering of people. Some people might feel better when they see this stuff too. Well, I guess my life isn't so bad. People can see silver linings in seeing all of this stuff on TV and all of that. But I think in order for the world to move forward and move beyond the pain and the suffering of what's happening in the world all over, It is just individually up to each and every one of us to sweep our own doorstep, to take care of our own hearts. You have a broken arm, you go to the doctor. You have migraines, you go to the doctor. But we don't go to support or help when we have a broken heart. It's so difficult for people to ask for help for their broken heart. I'm telling you, you address that, other symptoms, physical things that are happening, this chaos that's probably going on around you in your life gets less and less. And you start showing up for yourself and for others as your best self. And the more that you work on that, the more your home, your community, your neighborhood, your state, your country, the world, it's the ripples. There's ripples of grief, but there's also ripples of healing. And I think that's where we are missing the mark. We are disempowering people to believe that this life is just about suffering and that there is just nothing you can do about it. So Victoria, if you're not the person grieving, but you're in the circle of a person grieving, what would be your top three suggestions in your best self for that person? I think educate yourself, first of all. Listen to my podcast of other grievers who share their stories and who share their wisdom. Read books. The Grief Recovery Handbook is a wonderful place to start to learn about grief. Address your own doorstep, like I said. 
ask the person how you can support them. Don't assume and really pause before you project what you think that person needs, is thinking, wants, anything like that. The best thing you can do is just ask them. I want to support you. I don't know how. Please share that with me. How can I support you? Great wisdom. I know when I was widowed, there were so many people around me for the first week to 10 days. And then suddenly there was this deadening silence. One suggestion I would add on to that is diary to turn up at two weeks, diary to turn up at one month, diary to check in around Christmas or any sort of anniversaries, birthdays, it goes deathly silent. And it's a very sad place to be when you're surrounded by people and no one checks in, are still mindful that you may not be one and done in the first month. So Victoria, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say too, that this happens to me. I think about, I'm thinking about somebody. If you have a thought that just comes into your mind, let's say someone, when you were going through what your experience was, you know, and you were grieving and you were a mother, a young mother at that. And you said how the first two weeks had kind of dropped off. If three months later, six months later of your friend or acquaintance, if you're thinking about them, reach out, just reach out. So often, I think we overcomplicate it, first of all. But secondly, it happens to me where I'm thinking about someone and I don't act on it. I have become more mindful of that. If I'm thinking about you, there's probably a reason. It's that intuitive, I wonder how Michelle's doing today. I should ask her, but then you get busy. And you, you know what I mean? Life is distracting and we get wrapped up in our own lives and what's happening with us. But I think if we can just respond to those intuitive hits that we get when we think about other people to just act on them. Brilliant. So please share about your services. And if listeners need help in this area, how could you help? Yeah, so I actually specialize in helping people become emotionally whole who have experienced grief and loss in childhood because that's near and dear to my heart, of course. I also have my podcast, Grieving Voices, and my website is The Unleashed Heart, where I have services for Reiki. I offer Reiki energy healing as well. And a UMAP, I'm a UMAP certified coach where I'm actually just fleshing this out right now, but incorporating that into grief recovery into the point you actually mentioned earlier is how do we grieve? And I think especially when we are co-grieving with others in our household, there's this miscommunication of I'm grieving this way, you're grieving that way, and you're your way is wrong and you should be doing this. You know, the spouses, like let's say the husband, for example, is out tending the yard in the garden and it's this repetitive, not because the grass needs it or the lawn needs it or whatever. That's just how they're coping. I, as a spouse might feel like, you know, you're not really dealing with this. You're just doing these other things. But in reality, that could just be how they're wired. I'm really interested in incorporating the UMAP Actually, Kristen Sherry, the founder of UMAP has said, the more you know yourself, the less you look to other people to tell you who you are. And that is so imperative too, when it comes to grief, because if we can understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, I think we also then look at other people with compassion of what they are just different. They're not me. They're grieving differently than me. Great point. So yeah, I th- yeah, I think it's going to be fast. We'll, we'll put links to everything in the show notes to make sure people can reach out to you. So yeah, wrapping up, any last words, Victoria? Never lose hope. There's always hope. Just never lose hope. Dr. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. 
Your support is valued. Please subscribe, leave a review and a rating, but more importantly, share with your connections.